I don't take lightly this course of being able to sit in front of such a chashuva, beloved tzibur. And I certainly don't take lightly this course of being able to sit next to someone who is so, so, so devoted and so intelligent and so insightful about all in Yanam of Chinuch. And most of all, when it comes to Rabbi Kalish, most of all, we do this thing when we speak, we pat each other on the back. You might think it's like a cute thing, but the truth is we do it in private also. We have a lot of, we have a lot of nachas from each other. Um, and I was thinking today that the thing that I'm the most, most grateful for is that I, I put in a call to Rabbi Kalish earlier today Maybe we could discuss the questions for a few minutes. I didn't really expect that we were going to. Rabbi Kalish tried to call me back and he didn't get through. And then I tried to call him back and I didn't get through. And then we had a short, brief conversation. And the thing that shone through, and that I'm very, very grateful for, is the comfort that we both feel sitting next to each other, talking about in Yom Kippur. And by the way, not because we're going to say the same things, it may be some people complained last year that we, we agreed too much. It took away a little bit maybe of the excitement. But it's, you have to realize, maybe even we didn't agree and you didn't realize, because it's not so exciting to us whether we agree or disagree. That's not the Nakuda. What's exciting to us is that we get to, to sit together and to speak with such a special tzibur about such unbelievable topics. Chinuch is... Not, let me just say what chinuch is not, or Akelish will say what chinuch is. Chinuch is not, how do I pressure my children to do what I want them to do? Chinuch is not, how, my kids don't listen to me, how do I get them to listen? All of those things are important questions that, that maybe could come out from the sugya of chinuch sometimes. But chinuch is an almost untouchable, undefinable moment, and hopefully many moments that we have, with our children, with our Talmidim, with younger siblings, with neighbors. Chinuch is a very broad topic. And it's, it's that moment where there's something going on that's, that's that you know it. You know Chinuch when you hit it. When, you, when you're walking to shul on a, on, a, on a Shabbos morning and your son slips his hand into your coat pocket and asks you a question that you realize is a little bit vulnerable, and you make yourself a little vulnerable, and you respond, and there's a father-son moment there. For a second, you've experienced chinuch. Chinuch is when a child is not well, and he makes a, and he's sitting in his bed, and he's been home from school for a few days, and Tati comes home from work, and instead of getting involved in all the things he gets involved with, he goes upstairs first thing to see how his daughter or his son is feeling, and that child feels like I am the most important person in my parents' life, that moment was a moment of chinuch. And the MS is that, and this is really the point that I wanted to make before we start, is that very often you're going to find that the question is the answer. What do I mean by that? You're very often going to find that the tzadim of the question, we're going to sit here saying, Yitaka, you have to know. Yitaka, one of those two tzadim. Yitaka, I have to know. You have to be ma'ayan. Is it like... And, and sometimes we could say, is it like this? Is it like that? But the truth is that the, the discussion, the, the, the talking about it, the thinking about it, that's the chinuch. 
We're not going to say the question is the answer because we're afraid to say things that maybe somebody will have a, a, a difficulty with. Both of us are happy in this business if we, if we would let that control what we say and what we don't say. The, the point is that things are so complex and so subtle that sometimes it might sound like you asked a question and the answer was, good question. But there's something there, and we will bring out, hopefully, with Hashem's help, the Yisoydos that, that, that are part of this conversation, and the, uh, the Chinuch, a little bit like they say to Shem Rebutner, that he said that some topics you have to talk, he said, Arum on Arum bizmishmekdas. You talk around and around until you can smell it. Chinuch is the type of thing that you talk about and talk about and talk about and talk about until you start to sense, I think I know what Chinuch is. Hashem should give us the siyat deshmaya to be able to be mechave to the to the emes of what the Torah wants from us, and that this kinos that's l'shem shamayim should be ischos that we should all be matzliach to achieve that unbelievably subtle thing called chinuch with all of our children and our talmidim. A thank you to Rabbi Wisnicki, who last year already arranged this and pushed it, that once again, we should have this Maimon on Hanukkah. We're all being Mekayim, this Chag, this Maimon would be Mekayim, our Mitzvah, Neresh Each of us, our families, lighting our Menorah and creating a beautiful light in our own homes that shines out onto the Rosh Hashanah, that shines out onto the street. It's extremely appropriate on this Chag to get together and talk in Yanei Chinuch, the house. We resided to come together here. We still are both very, very young. I just won one of my first volleyball tournaments in my life in Durham, and still both feel very, very young. But we came into this city together 23 years ago, a lot younger. And, and we've watched, with Siyata Deshmaya, we've watched tremendous kindness of Hashem. It's, it's a miracle what happens to go, into, to go to local establishments, from shuls to the school to, to the food places. And I meet tons of people. That, I meet people regularly that I don't know yet, and I'm not saying I don't know yet. The growth of this shtut is, is something remarkable. And there are so many traits that are in the city very, very firmly that are incredible things that are very, very firmly in the shtut. And I want to speak about one Nekuda as the start to tonight's discussion of Chinuch. There's something that's built into our city that I, I love it. And I'm thankful to have raised my six children, raised and raising my children in this city. It's a feature of our city that was brought here 23 years ago. It like started on this. This is built in. And I see it very, very strongly in our city. The importance of every single person I feel like my children got such respect from adults, they mattered and counted. There's some very foreign cultures that maybe especially youngsters that pushed aside and ignored. And I can say on each of my children, Repini Spirit was a big person from kibitzing with them, from giving them attention, Rev. Aaron Beller, Rev. David Stein, the people of the community have such a respect to each child, to each person in the city, that, that's built into our city. And I've seen it with all the kids. We have Nachas, a kid, uh, one of the, the Bachram, when they come back from Yeshiva, 
it was interesting, the Gabbai, and it's, it was in this shul and all the shuls of the community run this way. Nobody needed to say anything to the Gabbai. All the returning Bachram got alias the week that they came back from Yeshiva. And there was an honest excitement. There was an excitement to see the Bachram coming back from Yeshiva. I remember one of the girls in the community start with, first was getting her license. She was driving through the Blue Ridge streets. From Badafka came to the other side, back, it's all one side. And we all, like people had nachas. We called her parents, wow, your daughter's learning to drive, she did a pretty good job, maybe a little help on the K-turn, whatever, gishmak. There's a tremendous respect for each and every person. Everybody counts, everybody's important. And I just think that a gathering on Chinuch, and we were warned to give short introductions, not so long, I'm really like seven minutes over the introduction time, but really just that there's a moment before anything's discussed, and certainly I've been zeichet for years to hear tremendous things from my sunshine. I want to share things that I've learned. I want to share things that I've learned from people here, things I've experienced. But just that we gather together, because the chinuch of our children, every one of our children is precious. Every, we value every single person, and we want to do our best job in being a chanich, in bringing all our children to the emes, to Torah, to Hashem, to a beautiful Yiddishkeit. So just that there's a maimed on Hanukkah, that we all get together, we're proclaiming something. The maimed, before any of the specifics, is claiming the importance of every single person in the community. And this is something that we want always, for always, to be the value of the community. Every single person counts. I hope we're becoming a big shtut. My tefillah, Shalom Zacher, is in a, in, a, in a bigger city by a Shalom Zacher. So people come in waves. You sing your song, and then the next group comes and eats some Arabists and sings, and the next group. In a small shtut, each person stays, and it ends when the oil leaves, so people stay much longer. I don't know if, you know, I'm not saying that forever people have to stay the longest that Shalom Zacher is, but I like the picture. A child was born, we're all there, we just, we eat Arabists for hours and sing. A child was born, we all, and I want that, that mitzios, if each person's important and counts, that should remain in our city. This, this value should stay in our city, and from here it should be a light on to the world. It should shine out to all cities, to all members of Klai Israel, the importance of every single person. Let's get on and talk together. Thank you for the beautiful words. Uh, our first really good segue from what Robert was saying is um, this is purely theoretical. So the first, the first uh, section is competing values between my home versus neighbors and friends. So I'm going to read, there are six questions in this section. I'm going to read the first three, I think, and then the fourth may be a follow-up. Okay, the first question is, what is the best way to combat competing values that a child may pick up from outside the home? Second one is, should we discourage a child from choosing a friend who is from a background which is with different Hashkafic standards? If yes, how do I address this in a way that minimizes resentment for both those children? And number three is, how do you identify when someone is or is not potentially a negative influence, and how can you tell if someone's growth has been impacted by negative influences? Is there a way to show acceptance and respect while protecting other children from positive possible negative influences? Is it different if we are actively 
involved in trying to mentor, guide, or be Makara for a person? I want to I wanna address the first question that Gabriel. I want to say this is a very appropriate. My, one of my neighbors, I'm too old for Israel, Gabriel, and certainly there, I just want my kids to pick up. I want my kids to pick up the influences from that neighbor. But I want to quote a Pasuk, that it's a Pasuk in Tvarim, Perak Lamed Beis, and Gemara Baba Kamed Samach talks about this Pasuk. And I think this Pasuk is something that I want to communicate. Any serious person, any, thinks about the topic of making their home a fortress and their dangerous values out there, and any serious person asks, how do I safeguard my house? I don't have one friend, we're all a chaburu, we're a group of friends, and being honest, of course we have precious ideals and values we want to hand to our children, and the natural thoughts is I want to keep out dangerous values and, and, and foreign forces, how do I protect my house properly? That is a completely, completely natural thought. <coughs> and this, this question is what I want to address in the following way. The Pasuk says, Michutz Tishakel Cherev, that there's a sword, are clanking outside is the battle of swords, and there's fear inside the houses. It's talking about, it's psukim, very scary psukim about Golos, and it describes dangerous forces outside of the house, but in the house as well, there is fear, there's bad feelings in the house. And I want to say that any thought of keeping out outside influences, the main thing a person has to do is make it happy in the home. When it's mechadar and meima, then you have problems. There's a big problem. Inside, it's not safe, and outside is death. You have real problems when it's mechutz, the cherub is, is there, but inside is eima. The best shmir in the world, and the only serious conversation of keeping outside things out is if it's very happy and positive and delightful and wonderful inside. And all of us have to ask ourselves, we all have many things in our life. Is the home a wonderful place? And to all of us in our own ways to make sure the home is a very happy and positive place. When the home is very, very happy and positive, then our protective measures, our gishmaka, will have to have protective measures. But it has to start there to remove the mechadar meimah, the fear and the bad feelings inside the house. So I think when we speak about shneirah, we speak about competing values. We certainly want to create good values in the home. In order to fortify and make sure that those good values are kept and people are interested in keeping and staying within these walls, the inside has to be wonderful. So I want to say that as an introduction to this question. Thank you very much. I could not, uh, I, I, I could not emphasize enough how, how important this, this insight is about about the happiness, the happiness and the comfort and the sense of safety in the house. I just want to say something practical, a, a practical idea based on what Rabbi Kalish said. Um, many years ago, when we first moved to Waterbury, we had a we had a chassan, Yisrael Majeski, got married in in California, and there was a very very prominent mechanach there. And I sat down with him because I had heard that he raised a beautiful, beautiful family out of town at a time 
that there weren't so many B'nai Torah, now Baruch Hashem is in here, Be'em the Yisrael, but at the time there weren't so many, and, and he was so matzliach that I went over to him and I said, I just moved out of town, can you give me some advice? And he took it very seriously, and he said, it was like, buy a chas, and he was like, come here, sit down, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the advice. And he told me three things, but one of them is directly related, and it's a little bit of a practical outgrowth of what Rabbi Kalish said, and that was he said that it's important to create a pride that's called our family. It's not to the exclusion of other families, but it's gishmak to be in our family. And you, it's Hanukkah is coming. Maybe you're going on a trip with your children. Our family goes on great trips. We have a Tati board special treats for our family. There's a certain pride, not just our family is Makbanachal of Yisrael. Our family's meaning is the first man Kriyashma. No, 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 don't start there. Our family has so much fun and so much excitement. Our family is so funny. Our family has the klutziest stories, whatever it is. But our family, he was telling me in Yiddish, Unzura Familia, he was telling me, our family, and whatever family it is, but to take a certain pride that this is what we do in our family, and you'll see that as the family matures, the older siblings will give it over to the younger siblings. That pride of whatever it is that's unique and special about our family. Just to note about this, um, before I hand it back to Gabriel and Yashikaya for taking on this, uh, this, this job, I feel like you're the real speaker of the night. And um, it's just important to realize it's true that Sviva is a very, very important thing. It's true. It's true that things could affect our children. It's true. You won't find anyone that says, no, it's not true. Of course it's true. But there are two things that are important to keep in mind. Number one is that life involves meeting people that aren't like you. And if you take your children, it's a little bit like, um, like the world is going through this, uh, the, the, the flu and all the viruses this winter are very, very stark, they're saying, because everyone was shut down for so long that they don't have the immunities. That's, what, that's what's been going on. If we take our children and we, lead, lead, and we let them be you know, chemically sanitized from anything that's different than they grew up with, you are giving them a handicap that they will be unable in life to davenus of Ashkenaz and Asfar, that davenus in a shul, that davenus of Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but, but they, they, it's very likely that our children are gonna go to work one day. I think that's a, such a likely possibility. It's likely that they'll have to move somewhere. It's likely that they'll have a neighbor that's not Jewish. It's likely that they'll have a chavrusa that comes from a different background than them. It's likely that they'll have a janitor that cleans up the yeshiva that's different than the way that they, all those things are very, very likely. And if I'm gonna create a matzah where any time there's any possibility that my children are gonna be exposed to anything different, I make sure to stand guard like this, so then it's like I'm carrying them, if I carry my baby the entire, his entire life, and he's never gonna learn how to walk. Does that mean that we should, Gabriel's telling me to stop. Does that mean, I'm stopping. Does that mean that we should, does that mean that I should, I should say to, um, to my children, go out on the street and, and get uh, immunized? Of course not, of course it's a balance. But it's important to realize that our children being acquainted with the fact 
that people are different and there are different types of people under our guidance and with us teaching them how to do that is teaching them the reality of life. Sure. So then, if I could do questions. Very briefly, I don't want to, Rev. Gabriel has a job to keep us moving. I wanted to say something, a question too. The question too, and very much in line with what Sunshine just told us. For many, many years, parents would come to the Masifta, and I would hear the question about influences. And something bothered me a lot when they would ask the question, these are good people, wonderful people, and ask me an honest question. I'm worried about influences, and they're coming from a place. A person's impacted by his environment, and, and something bothered me about the question. And I've asked it many times, and I decided to think. I said, I said to myself then, your own kids, you're afraid. As they're growing up, you're careful who their friends are. It's something my wife and I speak about. So when you're getting frustrated, I was forced. There are times your gut tells you something, and you struggle to put words to it. So I did a lot of thinking, what is bothering you? They're saying something. I'm worried about influences. So I did a lot of thinking, and I want to say my conclusion. I'm using the words from somebody I hold from the great mechanism of the generation today. And he, the words are his words. Barashikivanti, the idea I was mechavin to. And I was asked the question repeatedly, and I felt something was wrong. I wanted the following words. When you're younger, friendships form you. When you're older, you form friendships. Allow me to explain that for a minute. When our kids are young, the friends they hang out with are part of forming them. And as such, we're very careful who they hang out with. As we get older, we have to actively learn to engage the world. I'm thankful my son's in yeshiva. There are many rooms in yeshiva. And each door presents another adventure. They're all different rooms of all different types. And I'm thankful that my son has an awareness that my children have a proactive ability to enter different rooms, every room, and learn and develop a way to interact with the world. It's not all defense, of course, that's Shmira, of course, but at some point we have to treat our children, they're no longer five, six, and seven. He's 16 and 17, the rest of his life does he know how to actively engage the world, how to form friendships, with whom to form friendships, in what way he's going to interact with the world of people. And I feel like a lot of that question influences is, treat, is not giving people tools, is constantly protecting, which should be there, but not the active ability, the same type of teaching somebody how do you form relationships. So for older children, for older people, this part has to be part of what we teach, the act of engaging the world and how to engage all the different people in their life. So question number five, is it ever appropriate to rebuke someone else's child, or do you need to speak to the parents? And number six is, how should someone be mechanic? So I think this one is from a red, or a mechanic. How should someone be the opposite way? How should someone be mechanic a child in a certain aspect of Yiddishkeit, then one of the parents outwardly struggle with that aspect? And he gives examples. A father doesn't dive into the communion or go to learn. He's always on the phone. 
home or the mother isn't so tsunua, or always on the phone and constantly speaks Lush and Okay. Um, is it ever appropriate to rebuke someone else's child, or do you need to speak to the parent? The short answer is that it's not appropriate to rebuke, to rebuke someone. I'm not, if you were a Rebbe and you were given these children, so then, I don't know if rebuke is the world, but, word, but of course you're there to teach them. I'm understanding the question that, that my son comes in in the middle of Kriya Satyra and says that, uh, that your son hit him over the head. So I go out to teach your son not to hit my son. That, that's the, which comes up all the time. So that in general, unless the exception being if I have to, if of course the safety of my child is, is first and foremost. We're not talking about everybody understands that someone has to make sure that their children are safe. But beyond that, I, I think that all of us who are working hard to be mechanech our children would feel very uncomfortable with someone else walking over to be mechanech them. They don't know the challenges. They don't know what they're working on. They don't know what's difficult at home. They don't know the chinuch that I just gave them. They don't know if it was a hard time at home this morning or if they already got some musr today. And it's not, I, I do not think that it's appropriate to, 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 to rebuke. I'm using the word, Gabriel, of the question, to rebuke someone else's child. That's not, if I am close to, if, if, if like, like over here in Waterbury, in this shul, and in our shul, where we feel like a mishpacha, and I, my friend's children, I feel like mishpacha to him, we can schmooze about things, of course, that's wonderful. But, but to, to give Musser, that I'm gonna go over and tell uh, Rabbi Shon, and not that his children never talk to children, because he has a muscle. Rabbi Shon, I'm gonna walk up and say, you know, during Kriya Satyra, you shouldn't talk. No, 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 that's Rabbi Shon's business. I can go over to him, maybe, and that's what it says. The other side is, or do you need to speak to the parent, I'm not sure I'm asking to the other side either. Because what made it my thing to be conveyor what you should be of your children? Again, if we're chaveirim and I care about you and we have that relationship, then I could do it. If it's about my child's safety, then of course I have to go to the other parent. But if it's not about my child's safety, we have to trust each other. We're all trying to do a good job to be mechanech our children, and all of us have things going on that our friends don't know about. So we have to be aware of that. I do, I do want to mention that, that there's an area here that comes up all the time that's very, very important, a related area, which is, which is when, when, when my friend's children are in my house, I can't assume anything about what the parents' standards are in terms of exposure to technology and things like that. It's very, very important. If I decided for my children it's okay to watch certain videos, that's not, that's not an excuse for me to pass in that my friend's children also can watch those videos. And it's very, very important that whatever I'm going to do with, with, when my children have friends over, I have to be in touch with the parents, call the parents, and say, in our home, we watch Uncle Naishi. And we want to know. Some parents, I've heard from parents in this community that they don't want their children watching not even Uncle Moishi. So it's not a, you, you, that could sound very extreme to you, or it could sound, or maybe you're the one that I'm referring to. But, but, but I have to respect my Chalei Please. If we allow our child to watch some videos, is it preferable to watch children's non Jewish videos like PBS Kids? which they understand is not Torah-based, or should they watch the Jewish videos where Yiddishkeit may be portrayed in ways that are not within my Ashkafas? 
or just in silly ways that might slight Yiddishkeit, and then it's harder to explain to your kids what is Jewish from or correct and what's not. I just thought it was interesting to throw that in there. I don't know if you want to answer that This is one of those questions that, that like, I, I feel like good question. You know, that, that's the, that studdim are both good studdim. Um, our children are going to, are go, anything that we show our children, unless we speak to them about it, I think we have to, we have, we have to develop the type of relationship with them and speak to them that they feel that they that they have that they that they're open to hearing that I'm showing them something that I don't agree with. That itself is a big kasha. I don't feed them food that's poisonous to them, so I'm I'm showing them something and I'm saying, by the way, you understand that's terrible for you. What did I just do? So it's something that we have to we have to be done it again. It doesn't mean that we should never do it. I'm not saying anything, and I don't plan to tonight say anything about videos. It's too it's too detailed. Maybe Rabbi Kalish will have something at Klal to say, but it's too detailed. I feel like to, to, to say, you know, it's too many different mishpachas with different needs and different backgrounds to be able to say such a thing. But certainly there needs to be that relationship. The kasha of the kasha. I'm not avoiding it. I'm saying both studim are right studim. Sometimes the goyish thing that we could just say, oh, that's a, that's a guy. Sometimes that's better. Sometimes the Yiddish thing is better. At least it's all among us, you know. So it's, you know that that's also true. Okay, let's let let's you move section two. It was a it's a subset really of the first one. So the second number two is material necessities versus luxuries and children keeping up with the junk. So should I read the first? I'll read the first. Thing. You know, let, let me. Just, I, I, I really want to. I really want to dump the whole section two on Rabbi Kalish. So, so, um, so let me just comment in terms of the the. Um, Certain aspect of Yiddishkeit when one of the parents outwardly struggles with that aspect, because that piece of it is a little different than the than the section two. The, I just want to. This comes up all the time. I went through it myself with things that I wasn't so good at, and I was raising my children. And I'm trying to be mechanech them to do things, and I know that I'm not there yet. It was the funniest thing before we were driving here. We were getting ready to drive here, and my daughter was at home, and she was sitting on the floor with her friend playing a game on the floor. And I was trying to get her to get ready to leave because we were leaving now. My wife was by a chasana. So I was trying to get her to leave because we, we were leaving. And she was very involved in her game. So I was like, Hindi, stop what you're doing. And I'm like, suddenly I stop. I'm like, I'm about to speak about chinuch. Maybe I should do this the right way. You know? But you know, we're, we're, it's, it's very difficult to teach our children not to get angry when we get angry, or to dive with a minion when we're not diving with a minion. It is a very, very difficult thing. It doesn't patter us. We have to still be mechanach them. I just want to mention, and I am curious what Rekelish, what Rekelish uh, uh, thinks about this, but I, I do think that there needs to be an authentic, vulnerable maso mata between the parents and the children. For me to just make believe I'm perfect about it, you know, like a parent says, screaming, don't get angry! You know, like, that's not much of a chinuch. So there needs to be an authentic, vulnerable masa umata between the parents and the children in order to do that. And just, I know that I'm going to make some people unhappy, but I want to say one thing here, that, that, um, I don't want what I'm about to say to be misunderstood at all. I don't, I'm going to use a mushal, 
I want to use a, I want to use a marshal, but because this marshal is very, very, very clear. It's a very, very clear marshal. Okay, so the, the marshal is like this. Okay, um, some people, some people, and I, again, I, I, you'll hear the marshal. You'll see what I mean. Some people in the community wear hats to davening. Some people in the community do not wear hats to davening. Let me be very clear. I have no comment about that. Okay? I have no comment about that. Right now, where I sit right now, to be honest with you, I could not care less. Okay? That's not my point. Okay? Are we clear about that? Okay? That is not... I'm using it as a muscle, and it's not my point. Okay? I love you. I care about you. I'm happy. Wear a hat or don't wear a hat. It makes zero difference. Mamish, ten people that don't wear a hat is also a minion. Okay? We clear? Okay. But I want to say something, though. My son is becoming bar mitzvah, and he's going to yeshiva, and they're telling him in yeshiva that he needs to wear a hat. And I want him to get into a good mitzvah, and they're going to ask, does he wear a hat? So I'm telling my son, while I'm waiting in the car without my hat, I'm saying, go back and get your hat! Something doesn't... Maybe this will be the thing our Kedish disagrees about. Something bothers me about that. Something bothers me about that, that I'm saying, I'm the vatar on it, it's not so important to me, but you better do it. Do as I say, not as I do. Something bothers me about it, especially when it's something that Lemaisa, let's be realistic, it's not such a big deal to change. Whatever we want our children to do, we should do. Again, you have another alternative. You can tell your children not to wear a hat. I'm just as happy, okay? I'm, ju I'm just, just as, but tonight, that's not my point at all. Okay? My point just is, let's not raise our children to do something while they know that we're doing different things. Even when it's little things, the chinuch just doesn't work. This is <laughs> I want to I share something that I have seen from my sunshine for years. And my, my Rebbe that I chose one of the biggest factors why I chose him as a Rebbe, as a youngster, was, was, was based on question six. I want to read the words. Whoever, the, the questions in general have been great. I want to read the words to your question six. How should someone be mechanech a child in a certain aspect of Yiddishkeit when one of the parents outwardly struggle with that aspect? Whoever wrote it's a very sensitive person they didn't say one of the parents fails in that aspect, they said struggles in that aspect. Now they could have written it more tough, and they could have said, how can you mechanech your child if you or your wife fail in that aspect of mechanech? But they wrote if you struggle in that aspect, and I think it was excellently written. All the time, I see things in my kids that are better than me at many, many things. I see in my kids. And I think anybody who's raised children can see in our kids outdo us at many stuff. And I think a huge point to parents is that you're allowed to struggle. You're allowed to struggle and be honest and real and authentic in the struggle. My own Rebbe, I clearly, to me, I chose him at a very young age. I was not Oymid al I was very, very young. I didn't have everything so clear. And I asked myself, what drew me to him? And he was vulnerable and spoke about his own weaknesses in ways I had never heard anybody do. He spoke about his own struggle. I had never, it was like so honest. 
It was refreshing. It was like the first person who taught me like things that I was feeling and struggles and all different things inside. It's taken many, many years. And I'm just understanding it more and more. And there's, there's a generation that is craving authenticity, is craving it, honesty and realness. It's what kids today are craving. I've seen this in Rai Sunshine himself, and I've seen it with his Talmudim and his children. And our own honesty that we're struggling, we absolutely can be mechanic. I actually think somebody not struggling with something can't be mechanic their children. If you, if you tell your son, Mrs. Shas, I can't believe a bachar with Mishachas, you are not the mechanic. I would read, say the question, how can a person be mechanic his child if he's not struggling in that manner? I would be saying, you can only be mechanic your child in a manner that you're struggling in. Only, only. <clears throat> till you understand the struggle, till you get it, till you get it, till you understand. I want, I'm going to tell a personal story. I'm going to tell this, this is taking long. I want to tell you one of my, uh, one of my greatest, but a mistake in Chinuch I made. I want to share this with you. There was somebody I'm very, very close to who wasn't speaking to his father. He wasn't speaking to his father. I'm a young mechanic, and I want to be a hero. I want to return him to dad. And I put tremendous pressure on this youngster to talk to his father. Keep it out! And I pressured him like crazy. Fast forward 20, 23 years. Fast forward a lot of years of I, I've apologized to this person a couple of times. An apology, I feel so badly how wrong I was. I should have asked myself, why isn't he talking to his dad? I'm pushing him. It's normal, and his father wanted to talk to him. I didn't try to understand. Was anything I was teaching true if I didn't understand? Who am I being mechanic if I don't understand? And I have tremendous, tremendous harat, and I've apologized to him, and I was pushing something. I should have spent time. Today, I would try to understand. Why aren't you talking? Explain. Nachum, again. And I, I, I struggle with emotions. I didn't grow up a lot with that. And I'm trying and working. It's a, it's a new generation that's, that's dealing in very deep places inside of us and teaching us to, to get deep places inside of us. Why aren't you talking? Of we get to the tire better and deeper and more. So for some, this question, only something you struggle on is where you can teach your children. I see very often, I see parents and the kid struggles. And I have found often that the parent, maybe it could come from some insecurity. You relate, you understand, be open, don't be afraid. Be secure enough to share with your child your own struggles, your own journey. Our children know we struggle, they can know we struggle. We're also human, we're amazing, but we're amazing humans. And precisely that we do struggle and, and have built and have struggled, <coughs> continue to struggle and work is the best places that we're mechanic our children. So that's, I wanted to share that point, that struggling parents are the ones who are the best mechanics for our children, all the areas that we struggle, and the ones we don't, we can understand their struggle and be mechanic. 
So I would agree, if I was asking the panel, I would ask my son, if I don't struggle, can I still be mechanic my child? And my answer would be yes, if you can understand his struggle. Well, we want our kids to have confidence in us. Is there any point that you're risking their, them respecting you and having confidence that they have a parent who they can look up towards if you're showing them your struggles so often? I think robots are hard to respect. I think people respect work. I'm told that real people, more authentic people, I see today people are craving this. They're craving it. It rings, it feels, it, it, it resonates when somebody's worked through and processing. It's what drew me, my own Rebbe, and it took me years to understand. I was drawn to him like it mattered to me and remains important to me because he admitted to struggle, to serious struggle. It's not to say that there are no there are no there, there are no boundaries between a father and a son. A father could tell his son. Um, you know, I struggle with Minion. And then the son will be like, you know, Tati, I think you struggle with a lot of other things also. But I'm sorry, but that's not your place. You know, there's such a thing, of course, father, you know, but, but, but just the struggling thing. You know, when, when, my, when my oldest son became bar mitzvah, so I was, I, was, I was young, and for various reasons, I still struggled. I, I was just married for 14 years, and, you know, 15 years when my son was bar mitzvah. And I still struggle with the bedavni with the minion all the time myself. And here I was having a son that was that I was putting on his, uh, on, you know, getting his tefillin and his bar mitzvah and I'm being mechazek him. And of course he has to go to davening. And you know I didn't want to be that father that you know was closing the door of my study to daven shmonesri while I sent him to shul. I sat down with him. It was very it was difficult for me, but I'm so grateful till today that I did it. I sat down with him and I said, uh, Maish, I, I struggle with, uh, I struggle sometimes with going to Minyanim and you're being bar mitzvah, now it's your turn also to start going to Minyanim. I have a great idea, let's do this together, this Minyan thing. Let's do it together. And I, I, I just, I'm just telling you my, from my own personal experience, I never felt an ounce of, of respect missing. You know, Michaelish is saying that it's even more. I don't know what would have been if I took a different approach, but I, I never, I never saw that. Okay, next topic. I want to cheer for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> there's a sports player, hard in my mind, I work mind. There's a sports player who scored a touchdown against the team I rooted for as a youngster. His name was Flipper, doesn't matter his last name. And after he scored a touchdown to beat my, the team I liked as a youngster in the playoffs, he ran into the end zone, and normally you stop and celebrate your team. He didn't break stride and just ran straight into the locker room. All the other players are celebrating, and where is Flipper? He's gone. They say he just like ran home. He didn't break stride. He runs right through the end zone into. So we call it like after a guy says something like I saw him. We call it like Flipper. She dropped the mic and like run out. Just Flipper, like you, Josh. You feel me? No, you just want like. I feel like a night of Isaiah looked at it. That conversation, I came to hear I sunshine tonight. That conversation with my sons and anybody who knows my, he married one of my best friends, daughters, the Ben Tyra, tremendous, beautiful Ben Tyra. A conversation like that produces a Ben Tyra. So for that story alone, the night was validated. Fourth attempt at section two. <laughs> <laughs>
material necessities versus luxuries and children keeping up with the Joneses. So I think the questions first are general and then you get into details. We'll just read uh, four questions. What should our approach be regarding materialism? The world keeps pushing the extremes. And how do I respond when my child asks me why this yeshiva dinner, Torah, Masorah convention, and a good convention all seem so fancy? Number two is how do I handle children asking for toys, gadgets, clothes, and trips that I view as unnecessary, but many of their friends have? And number three is when making a decision, so this is on the flip side, someone's being careful about other people. When making a decision regarding my child, to what extent must I take into account how it will impact others? And number four is money aside, if money's not an issue at all, where do I draw the line between making my kid happy, showing them my love, versus giving them anything they want and thereby continuously raising the bar and doing them a disservice? I want to I wanna address well, the questions have been really special tonight. They reflect the incredible community that we have. I want to address two of these things that I feel very, very passionate about. I want to be mocked in that one of the beauties of our community is its simplicity. Kedushim are relatively simple. The, the, the general simplicity, the, the houses, the whole nature, and I appreciate and love it. But what I want to say is something that matters the world to me. I want to share something. My friends are here. This feels like the Thursday night feel. And I, I have to say something to everybody here. When we, when we learn tired with our children, our family, and reject the world and ignore the world, and don't acknowledge that the Torah addresses the world, I think, I think that ignoring the world leads to tremendous, tremendous indulgences in the world. And I think the most important thing, the world is beautiful. And there's so many nice things. They have a place. Beauty and beautiful things and fanciness has a place. Set up beautifully on Shabbos. Beautiful table. Beautiful things. Show our family that there's a place for beauty. The shuls in the city look nice. It's so important. There was gold and silver in the Beis Amigdash. There was tons of gold. You think like a Hungarian built the Beis Amigdash? It's all of us. It doesn't belong to one section of Claudius Rome. Teach your family there's a place for beauty. The beauty of the world, it's the first pasuk in the Torah, voracious. The world was created If you don't teach them, if we don't teach ourselves and our family, I think environments that ignore the world are most at risk for indulgence in the world because they don't learn a place for the world. There are massive confusions as if beautiful things are like, what is that that's all bad? No, no. There's beautiful things in the world. Teach your family at events, at a Shabbos suit that should be sparkling and stunning. A Simcha, a Chasna, the beautiful Chasnas. You know why? Because the Mishpacha is important, because the family is getting married. The best question in your home should be why is the China coming out? It's not Shabbos. The Shabbos of China's wonderful, beautiful, nice things are wonderful, because they have a place. They should ask, it's not Shabbos. You know why the convention is beautiful? Because we're near our G'dayim. Of course it should be beautiful. Why do you think beauty was created for? Because it's Shabbos and Shabbos next to G'dayim. The Pais can bring this Shabbos. is supposed to have two extra dishes. It's not a joke. 
Shabbos, Hanukkah, Rosh Chodesh should be a magnificent Sodor. If we teach our families and ourselves the place for beauty, the place for nice things and beautiful things, they won't ask, what is that? They'll ask, it's like Shabbos today. That's the most delightful question. It's Hanukkah, we ate in the dining room. My wife put us in the dining room. We put up nicer stuff. We throw them there, so it's not Shabbos. It's not Shabbos. It's Hanukkah. Let's learn about Hanukkah. There's a place for beauty. There's a place for wonderful things. Teach our mishpachas each thing. This world's not a place of bad stuff. If I don't get it, they're indulging. It's a beautiful world. Admit to your children, Hashem made a beautiful world. You're supposed to have beautiful fields that you should play on by recess. It's supposed to be that way. The, the values we have are things have a place. Put them in the right places at the right times. Teach our children that. There's a place for it, the correct place for it, a beautiful place for it. Teaching this, there's so many in young, and as kids get older, I have met kids that think typhus, the fact that they have desire, I've met teenagers, think it's like the dark place of themselves. That's crazy. That's a tragedy. They think they have like a dark spot, they have typhus. It's the holiest place. You have Tyrants. One day you're supposed to get married. It's wonderful things in their place. If I can't, the reason some things are wrong is because that's so out of place. It's not Shabbos. The reason he shouldn't look, and that's not the place for Tyrants. It's out of place. Teach the proper place. It's a beautiful world, Hashem. And when our families see wonderful things, the only question is not Shabbos. They know its place. They know where it belongs and when it belongs. That's in terms of question one. In terms of question nine, it sets me off also. Question nine was, when making a decision regarding my child, to what extent must I take into account that will impact others? A father once said to me, there was a sechs of his son, a little fight, his son and another son. So a father said, I'm not biased to my son. So I told them before, Shlema, you're a sick man. Be biased to your children. I'm a principal. I've had many an angry mother get upset at me about something. I appreciate when they're angry representing their son. I don't want them being under. Well, I understand as a school. You don't understand me. Just understand your son. Be biased to our children. Be an advocate and be biased to your children. It's very dangerous when we're not biased to your children. It's dangerous. I'm not talking about being a bad person, kind, gentle, nice, nice to principles, please. But I'm just saying be biased to your child. It's healthy. We're born as a, we're created by Hashem as an advocate to, 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 his, to, to our children. We're supposed to be that way. Please be biased to your children in every which way. It, a nice person, you're nice, always stay nice in your bias, but be biased to your children. I think that question is important. I recently had a situation. Somebody very close to me, his child was kicked out of the school. And the person started like explaining the school to me. I, was, I, I, I gave it to them hard there at Sadiq. So they took it back and then they advocated for their child and became closer to their child. The, the most close, the greatest care they had in their life they expressed it. They got, they got biased as they should be. Stop being so fair. That doesn't mean to be mean. But it means you were designed to be your child's parents. 
few practical nakudas regarding the two. All these questions about how much to give our children, toys, gadget, clothes, trips that I view as unnecessary. And the last uh, question 10 here, money aside, where do I draw the line between making my kid happy, showing my love versus giving them anything they want and thereby continuously raising the bar? There's a lot of pieces to this. I just want to say a few very, very practical things. It's very important for us, by the way, to realize that our children are not carbonites of our canoes. They live, our children live in a world, and the norm of that world is what they need. I'm not sure children asking for toys, gadget, clothes, and trips that I view as unnecessary, but many of their friends have them. There might be a theorem in Ayube. If many of their kids have them, that may make it necessary. Now, if somebody can't afford it and they don't know what to do, okay. If you don't like that it's always a new fad and there's a gadget and now they're, then they're pushing the buttons on those things, you know what I mean, those rubber things, and they're, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, you know, there's this gadget and that, and you know, everyone always has to get the gadget. If you don't like it, so maybe it's the Rabbanim's fault. Maybe we need to work, work on that if that's an issue. But it's not your children's fault. And for them to go to Yeshiva Katana, and they're the only one that doesn't have it, have it because their parents are Kanoim, to Rachmanis on those kids. Leave it for other Kanoim. If, if everyone has it, so then it becomes a Tzayrit. I'm just going to like, hey, if the, if the class has something, that's a, that, that, that would be a Tzayrit. I think that's, but there's also another piece here that are, that, that's, that's interesting. How do I respond when my child child asks me why is yeshiva dinner to our Masora convention and our Guda convention all seem so fancy? I have a theory. My theory is that there's not a kid on this planet that would ask that question if they didn't care. <laughs>
and trust that the Gedailim are doing things right, and we can still have an honest conversation about what we would do and what makes sense to us without it wrecking our Yiddishkeit. That we can have a debate, and at the end of the suit, like, so what's the answer? That's a good question. Who cares? What's more important to me is that all of you sat around the table and debated about it. We had by our, by our Shabbos table, um, this, this debate actually happened the first Shabbos that Moish brought his kala home. She was a little uh, overwhelmed from it. We started a big de 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 debate. I, I do think it was my fault, that debate. There was a thing, I don't know if you remember, there was a big thing during Shemitah that they were saying that you could buy for a few dollars, you could buy a little piece of Eretz Yisrael and be Mekayim Shemitah. Remember that? We, oh my goodness, my family, married, unmarried, children, adults, it was like, it was like Beis Hill and Beis Shammai, it was loud, people were screaming, everyone loves each other. But it was like, and it was so interesting to see my Philly child with his shita, he held it's a great idea, my Chaim Berlin child with his shita, terrible idea, you know, it was interesting, and they went at it, and at the end, I have no idea. And we have another seven years to discuss it. But, but, but I love that there was a conversation. So if your child indeed asks about why his yeshiva dinner is so fancy, the Rosh Yeshiva are worrying about it. But Tatalo, what do you talk to think about that? I'm curious, what's your opinion about it? Oh, you think it's too fancy? That's so interesting. And what about maybe Alts Kavarat Torah could be fancy? Oh, what? Oh, it's so nice to have this conversation with you. I hear that that's what you think. Rabbi Kalish would take it a step further, and I've learned this from him. Rabbi Kalish would, if it would come up, if his Yisrael mayor would say something like this by the Shabbos table, the entire community would know it. By Shalosh Shudas, Rabbi Kalish would say, that's Yisrael mayor's shita. And I've imitated that. I love that. I love that. And at home, and more important for the home, that Yisrael Meir goes, walks around, you know, like, his, 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 he, has, he has a shita, you know? He has a shita. People have shitas, you know? There's the Mayat Tzizkadeli. I'll tell you this, tell you this, tell you this, Yisrael Meir. You know, and that's what we want. He has an opinion, and his opinion matters. I, think it's, I know it wasn't the point of the question. It's question number 17. We just Wow. There are many legitimate discussions that take place about <laughs> issues of or matters related to Mysis in the community and cross classroom. Many of these sensitive and nuanced discussions, and if we're not careful, can cause confusion and our cynicism. How do we shield our children from such discussions? Is it ever appropriate to make children aware of these issues in these areas that we think need to be fixed? So I think you know the answer. Yeah. So let's put it on the record that we did question seven. <laughs> Section number three, going on. Uh, encouraging full potential versus the risk of overpressure. So these are really one question, but they're, they're asked in different details, which brings out the question well, I think. So we'll read all of them. How do we know when we should push our children <coughs> when they are not ready to be pushed or need a break from the pressure? Is there a danger that if we don't push them up, they'll become complacent and not grow to where they should be? Number two, so when it comes to Tznias Lahalacha outside of school, should we be putting demands on our children beyond the letter of the law? My daughter wants to wear pants in the house, but I don't want her to. Do I continue to push the issue? 
Next one is, if a bugger drinks every so often in yeshiva to help himself, to help get himself involved and less inhibited, as a parent, I am concerned when my son, son drinks, how should I react? And the last one is, should a girl be pushed to doubt in Shulash Havas? I wanted I wanted to address I wanted to talk to you for a few minutes. That question 14, I think it's a very good discussion. And this is something I, I want to just talk about this question. The question 14. If a Bachar drinks every so often in Yeshiva to help get himself involved and less inhibited. As a parent, I'm concerned my son drinks. How should I react? I like that in the question, I like that the questioner knows why people drink, to help himself get involved and less inhibited. And, and I want to say that, that the response to a person drinking, to a person certainly, I do not like youngsters to drink at all. I try to say for older people not to drink as well, to really stay away from behaviors like that typically. On Shabbos is Indian Tabyayin, and Indian for Kiddush Tabyayin, maybe Tabyayin on a Yantim, on a Suda. But I want to say that, that the, the Akara of the question that the reason people drink is they're very uncomfortable. And we have a big say in whether our kids are drinkers. And a lot of our relationship and connection and a lot of understanding our youth, really understanding a child. When parents think about the sugi of addiction, which is this question of drinking, and they think about the sugi, we have some say a lot of addiction is not being in touch with self. But the mark of an addict is a tremendous disconnect from self. We spoke earlier about dropping your guard to your children. I think many people, I, I have many friends here who can improve in this, dropping their guards to their kids, being more human, and dropping your guards to your kids. The Icar Sugi of addiction is somebody's not in touch with self. That by Sunshine and I have spoken about the topic of addiction. It's relevant to anybody here, whether you struggle with it or not. It's relevant to every human being. We have spoken about the question for years. We both read up a lot on it. We both have a lot of questions, and we, we from time to time, update each other our own discoveries about addiction. Addiction is, and the reason a kid drink, a group of yeshiva guys drink on a Friday night, they are uncomfortable. That's a big problem to be uncomfortable. They're sitting in a group of people. The reason why a group of yeshiva guys drink, my son described me, he was somewhere on a Friday night. He said I was the only sober guy there. He was sober because he was comfortable to be with other guys. And he learned how to start in uncomfortable situations, have the confidence, and then the learning of self, being in touch with self, being secure with yourself. Us as families being in touch with ourselves, don't use alcohol, don't use any. Get in touch with your own emotions and feelings and sense of self. My sunshine describes his family table where they're fighting and arguing and it's encouraged and each one's opinion matters and counts and is wanted and drawn out. One of the first things my Rebbe taught me is that his father on every single shyly ever asked his father, he said, Yechiel, what do you hold? That was like, Chinuch 101, what's inside of you? Yechiel, Yechiel, his father, what's inside of you? 
what are you home? And being comfortable with ourselves and allowing our children to be comfortable. There should be an absolute war against wine, nothing to do with wine. But an absolute tremendous effort in our homes for awareness of self, for comfort level, and by us knowing our kids, understanding our children, relating to our children, that's how we're solving a wine problem. So I like that he understood that the kid drinks to get himself involved and less inhibited. There's a big thing we can do about it. We're not passive to such a problem. If our kid's drinking, what should I do? There are things we can do. We should first of all get more in touch with ourselves and let him, there's a Goyish thinker who famously said the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of addiction is connection. And connection to ourselves and connection to others. So I think in all of our homes we can promote a very a good bottle of Yayin and Shabbos is wonderful. Anyantiv, it's a it's a mitzvah it's wonderful. But I think we can promote very, very healthy homes by being emotionally aware ourselves and promoting that in our children. Nuance, details of emotions in ourselves, and then we are creating an environment that will be in a big crowd and will not need Yayin. First of all, thank you, Rabbi Kalish, for, for mentioning the, the dreaded addiction word. It's very important that we, that we not be afraid to address it and to talk about it. The only way that we're going to be able to deal with it and prevent it, and, and you know, in, in, especially when we're dealing with younger children, that there's work that could be done to lay the groundwork that they shouldn't be cited later on as if we're, if we're aware of it. So I'm very grateful. There are a few questions here, 11, 12, and 13, that they're all great, great questions. I want to point out, like at Sada Shava Shabbat, that's a very, very important Nikuda in Chinuch, and it's a very, very, to be honest, it's a very difficult thing. It's maybe like the crucible of Chinuch, what I'm about to, talk to, to explain. Question 11 is, how do I know when to push my children? Should I be afraid that if I don't push enough, they'll become complacent and not grow enough? Incredible question. Question 12, so outside of school, should we be putting demands on our children? Excellent question. Question 13, my daughter wants to wear pants in the house, but I don't want her to. Do I continue to push the issue? Also, very, very good question. There's a nakuda that binds all of these questions together. And this is where it's at, this, this question. And that is, why am I being mechanach my child in this area? Is it possible that I'm pressuring my daughter to dress a certain way because it makes me uncomfortable when she doesn't dress that way? Is it possible that I'm pushing my children to be a certain way because it's important to me, for me, to have children that are a certain way. And if, and by the way, if that's the case, that would make you normal. That's a normal Nisayan to have. Because we identify very, very deeply with our children. And not only do we identify deeply with our children, but our friends, you want to know if they're judging you based on your children? They are. They're shallow, but they are. But, but that doesn't, but that, and that's why I said it's the crucible of Chinuch. This is what we have to work through inside, that when I'm Chanuch, my child, there is one Cheshven and one Cheshven only, and that is what 
is the best step forward for this child. If there's one thing that I would have a ha'ara on about these magnificent questions, it's my daughter wants to wear pants in the house, but I don't want her to. Michaelish is not as cynical as me, but if you don't mind for a minute, too bad if you don't want her to. That's not the question of whether or not you want her to or you don't want her to, because Hashem decided that she should be your daughter. And now that she's yours, you have to make a decision, what is the best step forward for her Yiddishkeit? And maybe you have to think about the rest of the mishpacha, maybe you have to think about, are they boys, are they girls? There's a lot of cheshbayness. But what's motivating me here is not, I want to have a home that looks this way. I, and it's a deep thing. I want my children, I always dream that my children should be a certain way. Many years ago, we, we had a schuz when Rabbi Kalish was still in the base medrash. We, we, the yeshiva finished the homosexual subas and we made a siyam. At the yeshiva dinner, we made a siyam on the homosexual subas. And there was a bacher in the yeshiva from Eretz Yisrael. And his mother came from Eretz Yisrael because her son was making a siyam. This son was struggling, and that's what he was doing in the United States. But more importantly, for what I'm trying to say now, the mother was struggling. And over the year, when I would talk to her on the phone, she would tell me, this is not how I expected my son to turn out. This is not what I was diving for. And what we worked on together, and it's, it's not always easy, it's important that we don't just, you know, knock in an unfeeling way of a mother that feels that way. You know, she was raised a certain way. Her father, Brad, is one of the Gedele, Oilam, you know, like it was a, a very, you know, it was very hard for her. But what we worked on is thinking of, not thinking about what her expectations were, what her family expects, what she thinks, what she needs. All those things are not the question. The question is, where does Hashem want this child today? That's the only question. So, and I think that's Nagea to all of these things. Should I pressure my child? Or should I be complacent? One thing we can agree on without any status whatsoever, that I cannot pressure my child because his friends are going to Yishul Shabbos afternoon to learn, and he's staying home and reading Harry Potter, and therefore it bothers me that my friend isn't doing what his friends are doing, that my son isn't doing what his friends are doing. If that's the reason I'm pressuring, don't be angry at yourself, it's an avayda, but you have work to do, we have work to do. We have to work on uprooting that my agenda on the Halig and Shamas Hashem gave me shouldn't be any other agenda other than what this, what this child needs. And yes, there are times that we should be pushing our children. There's something about the word pressure that I don't, I'm a little bit allergic to. I think it's a, <coughs> I think it's a my game for today's world that we, we overpressure sometimes. So I'm a little bit, you know, I, I'm a little bit nervous to use the word. <laughs> To use the word pressure, I would rather use the word encourage, be mechanech, work with, impress upon, I don't know, figure it out. Look at the, uh, look at the dictionary. But, but the word pressure is a little bit of a, of a, of a strong word to say because it sounds, it sounds unfeeling and without taking into account where the child is. It's just the way the word sounds. But yes, sometimes there's a time to, to make a demand. It does happen sometimes. And I have to know my child very, very well to be able to make that to be able to make that call. 
Is this something that I should let go or not? But again, the main thing is, the starting point is, why am I making my goal? What's pushing me? What's pressuring me? My child is making, I know this is Rabbi Kalish's favorite, one of his favorite topics, my child is making noise in shul. Okay? Okay, so I don't want my children to talk in shul. And I have to think about it, how I'm going to be mechanic my child not to talk in shul. But if the entire reason why I'm doing it is because I'm embarrassed, because I see the guy sitting next to me disapproving me, disapprovingly looking at my child while he has a gun pointed at all of his children who are sitting like ducks in a row in a single file, then, I'm sorry, then, um, then that's not the place to start. My child is levitating and hanging from the chandeliers. That's my child. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me this child. That's my child. I have to figure out how to raise him to have a yira from a mikdash. Okay, well, how, how am I going to go about doing that? Okay, I know it's late, so we have two options. Should we, should we do section four, which is talking about positivity, our favorite topic? But, um, or section six, because we didn't get to younger children questions too much. Okay, so we'll do section four first.
that's wonderful. That's if, if we if we help create acceptance and understanding, excellent. But I want to share something that's that's important to me, and I want to share this with everybody here. It will answer many of the questions asked tonight. It addresses what Rabbi Sunshine just spoke about motives for the old chinuch of our children. It will address, like Rabbi Sunshine said, a lot of our conversation of chinuch really couches. We used to say a shir every Shabbos together. We'd said a shir together on chinuch, and it was all really talking. We're talking about me and you. Chinuch, my son just means me. Rabbi Sadiq says our children are our deepest thoughts. When a person has a kid off the derech, it means a piece of him is off the derech. Our children are us. We speak about chinuch, we're talking about me and you. So I want to share this with everybody here and tell you a little secret about what it has nothing to do with acceptance, even nice to the struggling guy. It's not really about that. I want to tell you a secret. I want to share this with everybody here. In Eretz Yisrael, I'm going to go in two weeks. We have a Shabbos here. And on this Shabbos, there are people that are finished and there are guys who are struggling to keep Shabbos on the same Shabbos. Somebody asks, I don't get you, Waterbury people. How are you all on the same Shabbos? Okay, what is it? How can the same Shabbos inspire you and you? And I want to say, Rabbi, said this all our questions, I want to say this point. That we value MS, truth, sincerity. We're very secure with the connection to Hashem that's sincere, authentic, and true. When somebody's very insecure, in all our relationships, we have to be secure. When a person's secure with their relationship to Hashem and Torah, they don't fall for a lot of insecurities. Somebody asked of Steinman about yeshiva being very selective and only a certain type gets in. And Steinman very publicly said, he described him and the Briskara being in yeshivas of all different types. He didn't even relate to like this, some sort of sense, only this type, ignore this type, he's dangerous. He was, he called it gaiva. He was very fire against it. In a world that values truth, sincerity and realness, I can look all from, I can stand here, I can chuckle hard. It's very hard to dive in with sincerity. Everybody knows that. To dive in real, to talk to Hashem, real, is very hard. I, admit, I, I said to a Bacher recently, I criticized him that he doesn't come to Davenings. He said, I talk to God all the time. He said, I struggle with public prayer and I struggle with prepared prayer. I speak to Hashem all the time. I was so intimidated. Do I speak to Hashem all the time? I was so moved by this person. It asked me like, you start telling me, oh, you're just, you're being nice, you're even destructive. What are you talking about? We just want real. In the world of real, I don't fool how different he is from him. We all have a struggle, all of us, every human being, to be honest, to serve Hashem with sincerity, to call out in honesty, to serve Hashem with realness is all is our human struggle. And we're Zaycheh, we have a Torah, and all of us are trying to be authentic. When we try to be authentic, it's not a trick, like be nice to those guys. It's me, it's you, it's him. When we're secure and seeking truth, we're very similar. I don't look at the Shabbos that there's such a range. They're all hidden. 
They're all people try. I don't know who's more real. I don't know who's the most honest in the room. I don't know. I look at this room. I don't know who's the most honest in the room. We're all human beings trying to serve Hashem with sincerity. <coughs> a guy came to me a, a couple of months ago shaking like a leaf. He wanted to return an item he stole. I shook from the guy. He's shaking. I stole this. Please return it to the owner. He was honest. I walked away. I felt so little. He was honest. It was embarrassing to do. He stole. And he has a mitzvah deraisa. I don't know if I do my mitzvahs with that sincerity. You know what it means to come to somebody I stole? And I want to give it back. I don't want to be a ganav. I want to be an emesikiyin. I don't know if I can be in the same room with such a person. That's honest. That's real. That's authentic. No other motive, but it's right and it's true. I'll embarrass myself and give up my standing for what's true. <coughs> That's what Waterbury is about. It's about a world of honesty and sincerity. In that world, there's a lot of place for a lot of people. You don't have to be insecure. It's a secure, comfortable world. Within MS, there's room for all. I, he doesn't threaten me. I'm trying to be real and he's trying to be real. I can hug him. There's room. There's much more room. That's the world we're demanding. It's very demanding. It's crazy demanding. It's hard to be truthful. We can hide behind other things in our own lives, in our of our children. When there's sincerity and we ask, what does I need? What does this child need? What does my next child need? You can tune out a lot of noise and a lot of other types of pressures, and a lot of other types of insecurities. In a world of MS, it's very secure and comfortable, and you don't struggle, and it's not a world where you're being nice. To, that's not what Waterbury is. This is not about being nice to like the outside. It's about him and me both pursuing honesty, and I'm secure enough, my relationship to Tyra, my relationship to Hashem, my relationship to Yiddishkeit is secure, very comfortable in that place. So what comes out is acceptance. It comes out. It's not what the revolution is, my friends. Look at the room. We have. It's a, it's a from a place. It's so extreme from Kait. It's Lifnebishurus Hadim from Kait. I don't know if you met by Sunshine's Mishpacha. And I hear people say, it doesn't bother me. It's not defensive. He's accepting, maybe he's a man. Look at his children, B'nai Tyra. I daven once in a while, the son of love, he davens for the other beautiful mishpacha. What, I don't, he's a maker on truck. where is it? You will like this to a beautiful B'nai Tyra, the highest B'nai Tyra. I don't mind, it's not a defense. That's not what, where you miss the sodya. It's not about tolerance, acceptance. Those are good things. Spread it. If that spread it, it's not what it's about. It's not what it is. You miss the boat. It's about sincerity. It's about authenticity. In a world of authenticity, how can you have a Shabbos hidden there? Dining, you know who's more emesic. Right? Son of Shansar, you know his Nisayan. It's about honesty. In that place, it makes room for everybody. Many people in a world of insecurity, another guy ran. Half of why people are running because they're just looking for MS. MS has room for the whole world. It has room for everybody. And this is the Nikud of our own Chinuch. It's a very secure place. 
You don't have to keep up with the Jones. You don't have to worry about the neighbor, this one, that one. In the world of authenticity, understanding each child and ourselves, we're human. And we have insecurities. You and I, a lot of insecurities. If we could start plugging in, this is a city and a yeshiva. That's a tired place that's plugging into something that produces security. And I slowly smile, figure myself out, and plug into something authentic, you become a very healthy, secure person. I relate, all of us relate to insecurities. When your kids are a certain way, this and this and that, does the neighbor have the same one, does him, does that one? Everybody's a different person. Let's understand, let's be mechanic from a beautiful place, a secure place. All of us should be zeichen for ourselves and our children to plug into a world of MS. In that world of MS, there's room for all our children because the ultimate, the one who's Chaisamah's MS created that child and me and you. In that world, there's plenty of room. In that world, we're mechanic from a very authentic place. That's the revolution of this makam, this holy place. Now look at the success, look at this room. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. Sincerity, sincerity. We all have struggles for human, that's what it means to be human. The inclusivity is not like a, it's, it's not like a, like a certain like job called Kiru, like those guys, oh, those guys, this guy is us, all just human, beautiful Yidni. In that world of MS, there's a lot of room, all of us should be to raise sincere sons and daughters. Beautiful, happy, healthy homes that are loyal servants, I strongly debated not, not addressing Rabbi Kalish's over-the-top remarks about me because I was afraid that if I address them that, um, that really my kavana is, I want to remind you about them. I'm afraid that I enjoyed it so much the first time that while I'm being Micha, everyone will keep in mind together that Kalish said nice things about me. But I really think it's important to say this macha because it brings out, and I think it the side of Chinuch that I think I want to end with, that we can learn from Rabbi Kalish, because you'll see in a moment, and you'll know that what I'm saying is true, that this alone, the way that he treats the person that's sitting next to him on a stage, is itself a grand act of Chinuch. When I say act, I don't mean an act, I mean it's an action of Chinuch. Pastor Shalom was no act. Um, there's a story they say, I don't remember all the details of the story, but they say that Rebbe and a bunch of other G'daylem were sitting around the table, and they had a kasha. All the G'daylem, the G'daylem Adar, they were handling this kasha, they could not come up with the derits. And they were, they were stumped, it was Tzarechi and Gadol. A bachar came into the room, one of the bachar that was taking care of these G'daylem, and Rebbe said, no, Zagat Teretz. Here's the kasha, Zagat Teretz, say it Teretz. So the bachar said, Teretz. Everyone's stunned. The Gedalia Island couldn't answer this bucket. So somebody said, if Rabbi Kivega would tell a stone to say a terrace, it would say a terrace. <laughs> but there's an oymic to that. And it's a very big issue. The oymic is that when you feel like someone is being soymech yodayim, that someone truly believes that you're up to the task, it gives you kaychas that you didn't know you had, and, and it gives you kairos to reach levels in your own life that you cannot even have dreamed of because you weren't dreaming there. And this is a fact. Whatever Rebbe said, you should just know the Mitzvahs. 
And there may even be people in this room that could be made that I'm, that I'm not making this up. And that is that all of us that came to Waterbury, that became Rabbeim here, that taught, and eventually, as time went on, and, and, and we, we grew up, and we took on different responsibilities, he was the driving force behind telling us Zagat Teretz. I consider myself a Mechanech because Rabbi Kalish calls me a Mechanech. I was very successful for a while. I used to come to the Mesifta. I still miss those days. I used to come to the Mesifta to, uh, to take walks with guys. And I realized I was incredibly successful sometimes that I was trying to figure out what was happening. That doesn't make sense. Like, I'm not a magician. And I realized that Rabbi Kalish was telling the guys before I came, you have no idea who's coming. It's going to solve all your problems. By the time I walked in, it was like I, I, I could have been Harry Potter himself. You know, I waved a wand. I, 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 you know, but this, isn't that itself such an unbelievable, isn't that itself such an unbelievable yisoid of how you could see something in someone and, and energize it? and call him out on it, and to say, you can do this. And I think that, I think that it's, just, it's maybe the, the way that we could end off. I know we didn't get to the details. I don't think it's time to get to the details of, of, of Section 6. That's why, I didn't, uh, that's why I jumped in before you read them. But uh, no secrets, Rabbi Say. We'll get to that next time. I was thinking that the last two answers were such a punch. We couldn't get to the end. So, so th this is the this is the nakuda that, that, that I want to I, I want to end with by reminding myself and reminding everyone here when it comes to our children, our talmidim, our friends, we can have such an impact on our friends. That we, we're friends, and I feel like I owe my life to Rabbi Kalish because he told me you're a mechanic. He told me things like I learned from you, and it affected me. And it brought things out in me that I don't think would have come out. I would not, I am 100% sure that I would not be sitting here today if not for those, those comments and conversations and chizuk. And I think that it's something that we should take home to our, to our children. Not that it's our job to decide what our children will be or what kind of, you know, that's not, that's not necessarily our job. We have to, they, have, they have a journey. They have to find themselves what their makkah in the world is. But it is our job to tell our children that they have a special place that they occupy in the world, that Klal Yisrael can't exist without them. Maybe that's a little too, too broad. Maybe we should tell them the honest truth, which is that we can't exist without them, that we need them, and we want them, and we value them, and that they're an asset to the family. Any child that walks around feeling like I am an asset to my family, is in another world in Chinuch than a child that doesn't have that feeling. Let's go home and let's teach our children how much we value them and respect them and what an asset they are to us, how much we need them. And Amir Tzashem, we should be zaycha to watch them grow tremendously. Yashakaya.